Welcome back to the Construction Dorkcast. We kicked this new year off with two of our very good friends, Mike Zivanovich and Stefan Schnell, talking about what else but tech in the trades. These two pioneers tell us about how they got started in growing tech training in the respective halls and get very passionate on their soapboxes about how to attack the labor shortage and get young people interested in construction. Thanks again for listening, and tune in in two weeks for our next episode. You got it. Well, we are live on that note. So thanks for everybody for being patient and waiting for us to be a couple minutes late. You know how the dorks are. We got to start our new year a little behind schedule, um, which I'm sure most of you are starting 2021 thinking it's not really where I thought it was going to be. Right. So um, but hey, this is going to be a fantastic episode i'm really excited i'm actually not going to be at the controls tonight so i am just doing the introduction so welcome to the first construction dork cast of 2021 it's a fair trade we're going to be joined today by stefan schnell and mike zavanovich and i am freaking excited these are two gentlemen that if you have not listened in Put your seatbelts on, strap on your listening caps, whatever it is, get ready. This is going to be a fun ride. From here, I'm going to turn it over to Jonathan Marsh. Jonathan, take it away. Hey, um, I'm going to start out by introducing my drink. And today, today I was under the weather, people. I, I was feeling bad. Um, so I'm not going with straight whiskey because that, while that's good for you and will make you a healthy person, it's, it's a little much for me today. So I'm doing a hot toddy. And um, I'm doing it with a fistful of bourbon. Have you guys tried this? I haven't tried that Okay, one so uh-uh. there's a lot of bourbons that are blends. This thing's beautiful. It's inexpensive. And uh, on, honestly, it's one of the better bourbons that I've had in a long time. So with, with that, I am going to push it over to Mr. Voss to introduce himself and what he is drinking today. Okay, well, I went with the bourbon, straight bourbon route. This is... Uh barn barnstormers 40 winks um first time i've ever had this it's a double barreled whiskey it's it says it's from rockford illinois which is just right around the corner for me so that's why i grabbed it and just decided to try it out and it's actually it's actually pretty darn good um i will probably stop drinking it straight shortly and go to more of a highball route to try to hydrate a little bit so i don't end up ruining the rest of my evening right Uh, where's that from um well the bottle says from rockford illinois but um I'm trying to look here if it talks about where it's distilled. It's not a Flaviar delivery, is it? No, no. It's, I mean, right. it actually says it's bottled in Rockford, Illinois. I didn't. I saw the Rockford on the label, and I didn't dig deeper. But um, Rockford is just, for those of you out in listener land, uh, Rockford is just about 30 minutes uh, east of here on from between where I live and, and on the way to Chicago. It's just, uh, it's, uh, what would they call it? Um, it's the the sock monkey and screw capital of the world at one point in time all right home of the ice hogs home of the ice hogs that's right there you go (laughs) what are you up to today trent all right man um i'm coming to you with a with a woodford rye keeping it simple i almost Uh, grabbed that one it was right next to this on the shelf and i'm like ooh, that looks good too so pretty simple but always kind of your it's now you drink that straight yeah yep, yeah i've got it right here just in my little world traveler glass nice 
now I know Stefan, it is like, you know, two in the afternoon. So, so, so you might not have anything today, but, well, uh, oh, you do. As my boy, uh, Bobby Mouche would uh, say, this is a good, good H2O. High quality, high quality H2O. So I got <laughs> I, a few more hours worth of work to do. Then I'll go back uh, home and open up a nice beer. Well, well, Stefan, also, they know everything about us. Could you, could you take just a couple minutes to introduce yourself and kind of what you're doing right now and, yeah. and, and, and what you're up to? Yeah, so my name is Stefan Schnell, based out of the uh, Bay Area, Northern California. I'm currently the partnership director for a plumbing and piping local in San Mateo County. Uh, so we serve uh, all, you know, the entire county plus the Bay Area, and for all things HVAC, pipe fitting, and plumbing. Uh, big, big tech guy for construction. Spent 13 years in tech, uh, 20 years in in plumbing it's been pipe fitting and uh big big love and passion for anything construction technology from an app to hardware so yeah spent just like the rest of you guys spent quite a bit of time fidgeting and breaking it and doing it right doing it wrong and everything in between right on in in Mikey, I I know that in, in looking at the audience that plenty of these people know you, but but uh, maybe give us a little a little uh, background on what you're up to now because you've had some changes and and um, sort of what your focus is and, and and introduce yourself. Yeah, so I'll start off with my drink and uh, I have right a, a nice beer here from Colorado, so Colorado native Amber. Um, nice. And uh, I'm a Chicago guy, as you know, but. Uh, first, I want to say, hey, thanks for, for letting us be a part of this, and thanks for letting Stefan and I be here. It's, it's, uh, we, we, we love you guys, and a lot of respect for this crew here, so it's, it's really good to kick off the new year with you. And um, I'm out of Chicago, 10-year, born and raised in Chicago, but um, been a UA member for about United Association member about 10 years now. Spent five years as the technology manager with uh, the Chicago Pipe Fitters. Um, and most recently, I, I've joined the team here at GTP uh, Services and I'm working with Todd here. I'm in Denver at the moment at our at our home office. So that's uh, that's why Q's in the, the Colorado native beer, taking a little bit of what they have to offer. But yeah, I've, I've uh, made the transition over to GTP to really work with contractors and, and training centers around the country to help uh, do my part to push technology and, and what we do. We all have a passion for it. And, and, I, and I wanted to expand on that passion. Right on, right on, Jeff. Do you, do you have anything to introduce tonight? You, you, well, you look, you look, you look fresh in from skiing. <laughs> well, I'm going to admit that I'm actually with Stefan. I'm, I've got not the H2O. I need a little bit more leaded. So this is just a good old coffee because yours truly decided to take advantage of a, a little bit of that fresh air this morning and get what what we like to call here in the ski town an attitude adjustment. So I have some work <laughs> that's going to need to be done a little later on. But you know because we're always looking for Flaviar. I'm going to be drinking a Wyoming whiskey Ooh. brought to you by Flaviar, Flaviar. a little Flaviar. bit later on, a on the rocks. And just to make sure, Flaviar, if you haven't tried it, let us know because you can get one of our links and, you know, sign up anytime you want. It's a great service. But from that, I'm just absolutely excited, you know, to have Mike and Stefan for, for myself, Jonathan, 
this pro process of learning construction technology has all been about the people I've met. And obviously you three other dorks have been a huge source of information for me, but I can honestly say I have called Mike and Stefan more LinkedIn message when I have real questions that, you know, you might feel like you'd look a little stupid asking this either out loud or it might even be considered uh, trolling or something is the one that Stefan and I had it. And I'm always amazed at the answers I get back. So I'm really looking forward to sitting back and learning. So I'm asking some, some of those questions again here today. And, and thanks guys for joining us for this year. It's, it's a great way to start it off. Yeah. Right on. And, and, and I'd like to kind of dive in um, before we started the show, we were talking a little bit about sort of the beginnings of technology in, in the different the different trade schools that you guys were associated with. And I see Susan's actually watch, watching in attendance and she was talking to me about the IBW a bit. Can you tell me, Stefan, like when you first, and you said it was what, 10 years ago or, or, or more when you started to push this, can you, can you give me a, a flavor for like, what was the attitude towards technology a decade ago in the Bay area, you know, amongst, amongst, um, amongst the union, you know? Yeah. Um, it wasn't well adopted. So we started teaching Autodesk products like in the say mid to late nineties, but it was, you know, a couple of one-offs people were doing it and it, and we weren't really getting the penetration into the office for, you know, skilled trades people in the office till, you know, several, several years later. And I'll, I'll just, I'll answer the question by telling you a quick story. One of the bigger contractors in the area, he does about a hundred million a year once told me in 2005 that he will never, ever, ever hire a union person to work in the office for drafting. And then fast forward 10 years later, he asked me out to meet him to meet him at lunch. And he called the Chris Ashlinger, our main trainer and said, Hey, I want all union drafters. So less than 10 years later, he went full circle and I asked him why. And he said, well, I just want to even playing field with all the contractors he, and he saw the value of it. So it's, it's been, it's, you know, we don't, I don't measure progress in days or months. It's, you know, years, you know, and same thing with, you know, our leadership, our leadership wanted to protect the work that we're good at. And then slowly we started training on work that we were a little bit uncomfortable with but knew that there was a need for it. And, you know, it, it takes a while. It's... Yeah. How about, how about down in Chicago, Mike? What, what was it like when you first started pushing technology in Chicago and Stefan, did you have his back? <laughs> I, I write hey, Mike's coattails. You know, oh. uh, let, let me, let me just set the record straight here that uh, <laughs> when, when I, I had any, instinct to, to launch this program in Chicago that I did. Stefan was on the phone with me multiple days a week, walking me through the process and how not to fail and, and how to let me fail so that I can learn my own lesson. So don't listen to anything he says about that because he's been a mentor of mine since uh, the very beginning. So five years ago, when we started this technology program in Chicago and they really didn't have one, I got the team of guys together that many of you know them, Casey Becker, Jason Ashburn, Justin Gage, Greg Cohen. These all names are all Familiar to you now, they're all detailers now in their positions. We we started this program, and and um, you know you mentioned Susan Zahn, and, and we've spoken a lot with Susan Balron on the electrician side, and I love her. She's got a lot of passion, and you know um, when we first started, we we got everything ready, and I'll shorten up the story. We got everything ready, and we had our first class ready to go, and 
and not one person showed up, you know, and uh, I ate all the donuts that night for the class. So, uh, you know, and nobody showed up and we, we knew that we failed and then, uh, well, we thought we failed. And then the next class, you know, we, we started it again and, and nobody showed up. And um, like Stefan said, you can't, at that point, you come to a, a fork in the road where either we stop and, 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 or we just keep, you know, get knocked down and get back up and fast forward five years. And we have uh, teaching Revit 180 hour program, four nights a week with uh, 18 students in each class. And there's a waiting list of students to get in that class. So if you're going to measure your success by, by one or two failures, then I haven't met many successful people that haven't failed in life. So um, uh, that was it, John. Same thing as Stefan, same thing as Pat, same thing as Ramirez, Eric Lambrecht, uh, John Russell, all these guys across the country uh, in the UA who bleed technology and push it, they've all failed multiple times, but you got to get back up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I have another question that's, that's sort of along the same lines. You know, one of the things that, that I noted, and this really comes off of what you said, Stefan, with, with the people not wanting to have union staff in their VDC department and then making an about face in everybody that I've met that is, is actually has successful BIM has either made that about face or has at least gone halfway down that road. Um, in, in, there are so many people I know that are, are great plumbers that became insanely good VDC people. Um, when you, when you have those classes that you're giving now, are you seeing more of the younger people coming in or the older people wanting to get retrained in the technology? Who, who, who is, who's, who's lining up on your waiting list, Mike, to, to, to get at that technology? Steph, you want me on that one? You want me to take that or? Um, Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what I'm seeing is that uh, it's, it's great. So we have apprentices that are um, aggressively taking our classes to, uh, to learn this because they love technology, but more important, well, not more importantly, but equally as important, we have 15 and 20 year members, brothers and sisters who um, have, you know, almost perfected what they do in the trades, but then what they want to do is um, they want to learn a new skill set and they want to stay relevant and they see the technology that companies out there are investing in and and they want to be a part of that conversation and they're taking these classes. So these people, just so you know, and, and this goes with, with Stefan too, they're working all day. Um, they're working eight, 10, 12 hour days and they're coming into these classrooms at night, often on their own time, unpaid uh, to take these 180 hour courses because they want to progress themselves and, and continue to make themselves marketable. So Jonathan, they're the spectrums all over the place from 18 year old first year apprentices cool. to members that are two years away from retirement are taking our, our, our classes. Right on. Same thing down in the Bay area, Stefan. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say it look now when we first started, it was the guy getting towards the end of his retirement that maybe tinker with the computers that, Hey, you know what? I'll give this a shot. And then now it seems like the people who grad who just graduated the late twenties, early thirties are getting involved but what I'm seeing because the because of the amount of hours that that you know you used to well, if you take if you take the amount of job hours there are allotted for a project it used to be cut just a couple percent were allocated for detailing and now it's growing from three percent all the way up to fifteen percent in some cases so we're we're needed to fill those seats up and I saw the need for to start recruiting with the tech in mind and in going to college fairs and high school fairs and saying, Hey, if you, if you like building and you're, you know, a techie, check out what we got over here. And this could be a path for you. So 
I, I anticipate younger people getting into these roles, but the key, the key, the, you know, the silver bullet is the, the construction and trade experience that they'll get through the uh, five-year apprenticeship. So it's kind of like all over the place, um, you know, for that, that type of person that is uh, the best candidate. Yeah, right on. Travis? Yeah, I'll go ahead and hop in. Um, so this is a conversation that Mike and I have had a couple of times in, in also the with his boss, Todd, there at GTP. Um, <clears throat> I imagine, Mike, you talked, you know, often about how important it is, and you kind of touched on a little bit that you've got these union members that are going out and working for all these contractors and you get in certain markets where they're, they're very tech focused. So, I mean, I imagine that was one of the, your selling points is to, we need to train our members to go out and work for these people, because I think that you're probably finding you're, you're using your traditional tried and true methods there. There's nothing wrong with them. They do really well, but then they would go to a contractor and they would have a, a tiger stop or they would be running with BIM or a, a total station or something like that. So, I mean, was it a, a mixture of, of working with those contractors or just kind of watching what the contractors were doing and figuring out what you needed to bring into your training program? Um, is that what kind of got things going? And, and Stefan, I would probably say it's probably the same, same for you. Yeah, I mean, definitely, Travis. So, you know, in order for us to, you know, and, and speaking from the, you know, if and this is my opinion from the UAN, we always want to stay in line with what our contractor partners are doing. So, and that's market to market, right? So, Travis, you're obviously Chicago-based, so I can use you as a reference, but there's plenty of other contractors, as we know, in Chicago who are, you know, well ahead of the curve on technology like you are, and there's some that are still, you know, doing their due diligence to catch up. What we do in the training environment is we look at what contractors like yourselves are using, right? You're using Tiger Stops, you're using technology, you're investing in, in, in Stratus and all these other technologies. We want to mimic that robotic total stations, spare laser scanners, whatever the technology is. What we see our contractors using, that's what we're going to train our apprentices on. Then we take a, a more of a global look at what the, the national industry is doing. And then we'll also pick parts from there so that maybe if something's not in our market, we can pull from other markets because we anticipate it maybe leaking, leaking into our market. Um, so when it, when it comes to how we train technology and what we choose, we're definitely very keen on what's going on around us because let's be realistic. If you know, we know Chicago is a very, for example, a Trimble heavy market for robotic total station, right? We see a lot of Trimble units. Well, that was one of the first manufacturers we bought into training. We brought other robotic total station uh, companies in our training center, but again, that's what a lot of our contractors were using out of the box. So, hey, let's train on that, right? So that's where that kind of makes sense. Um, Steph, I think, you know, you could probably touch on that too. I'm assuming that some of the, the you know, listen, Steph's in, in Silicon Valley. He's in, he's in the Bay Area. They've adapted technology before, you know, we kind of did in the Midwest with Chicago. So, some of the technology he's probably using out there, we haven't seen in Chicago yet. So there is that, that overlap stuff. Am I right there? I mean, you know, would you agree with me? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good points there. What came to mind when, uh, when you guys were talking was that the genesis of all this was the buildings and building the buildings and the compressed construction schedules and the focus on safety. Like for instance, we were, we used to have 10 days to perform a task. Now we have two days on a deck and that would force us to use uh, the total station use the Trimble unit, like it or not, that's how you're gonna get the job. And that would start the process and you, and you fail and you suck at it. And then eventually you're, you're that, you do it on every job, which is status quo. And then safety wise, it was, well, 
how do we increase safety? And it was moving construction to a controlled environment like the shop, right? And so that would force you to utilize, you know, leverage your model and actually start modeling what you're going to build rather than just throwing something out there to appease the contractors. And, and then we, we see that as, right, if our members are doing that and that's what it looks like at a job site, we have a responsibility to train on that, right? It wasn't just about how we did it, you know, in the 60s and 50s and so on. Yeah, guys, I, I had a question, but I'm actually, I'm going to change my question to, to continue this, this conversation a little bit because because I think there's more to talk about. But, you know, I like, uh, Stefan, what you said about, um, you know, you were, you were training the members and you're achieving some things on the job site, like a safer job site, because now we're building, you know, we're building in areas that are more controlled uh, and not a lot of trade stacking. But what do you guys, have you seen this too, though? I, I think one of the big benefits, in my opinion, and I'd like to hear what you guys think, is training these guys for that work. Because with, with the labor shortage that we're seeing, these, these building models and this fabrication is the only way we can hold the market. Uh, it, because, you know, putting that guy in the office and doing it, in, in my firm belief, takes the place of three guys in the field, or, you know, I'm sure somebody has the multiplier, but, but with that labor shortage, um, I think it's the only way that we can stay relevant. And I, I kind of wanted your thoughts on that. So Stefan, if you wanted to start. Um, I do think there's a labor shortage. I mean, there's proof of that all over the place that you can find. It's uh, another, I mean, another thing is just to get people interested in, in construction, right? You know, it, I think they said, I'll, I'll throw California out there just it's what I know. I think we have 90,000 registered apprentices. 80% of that is in construction. The goal is to get, I think by 2028, 500,000 registered apprentices in California. So there's definitely a labor shortage. There's definitely a recruitment shortage. And there's a lot of people retiring. I think I heard for every three people, re, re, three people retiring, one person's coming in, you know, and, and that, yeah, that, that really resonates with me. That's a good point. So I guess what you're trying to say is, um, you know, there's a scope of work that has to be accomplished for that contractor. And if we can't recruit younger people to be the wrench turners, uh, we can recruit them to do the computer work. And that does accomplish scope. I mean, it, that is part of the job. So yeah, that's interesting. Yep. Mike, um, I'll give, give you an opportunity too. So. <laughs> yeah. I just think that, you know, uh, just from my point of view, I'm like the metaphysical guy like I don't know I just I, I like to get all warm and fuzzy about these things and Stefan's like the level-headed straight guy that's what I like about him but uh, Trent listen man I see that and, and now in my position here I'm speaking to more contractors in, in the last hundred days than I've ever spoken to and unfortunately I get to see what's going on around the country and and I'm really getting a, a starting to get a good pulse on on what our contractors are doing and they are doing everything they can to bring fabrication into the fab shop. And Trent and, and Travis, you guys both know that, uh, being with contractors who are both embodying that uh, and, and embodying that and running with that, right? So our, our, um, the members in the field are more adept to technology. It's something they're comfortable with and it's something they wanna use. They are um, all about you know, productivity and efficiency and, and looking at ways that they can improve that because they wanna show value to the company. And the tools that you have, you are investing in, they are readily available and willing to learn how to use those tools. As I said, 
We have 20 year members that are coming into our Revit classes to learn that software because they want to stay relevant in their trade and in their profession. And any tool you guys introduce, whether it's a tiger stop, a plasma cutter, Stratus, any other piece of technology, they want to take that and learn it so they can stay relevant and show value to your company. That's, that's, that's all it is at the end of the day. And, and, uh, and I'm a firm believer in that. Great question. Jeff, I think you were. Yeah. So, so I have one and it, it wraps around this. You know, we continually talk about a labor shortage and I'm going to bring back Stefan, that thing that I said about, you know, earlier on in the startup of, you know, not wanting to feel like a troll, but you had actually posted a picture on LinkedIn and this was a while ago. So if you don't remember, I'll, I'll bring it back to you, but of a line outside, you know, for your next apprenticeship and it was turning away more people than we were really accepting. And I had this question like, well, wait a minute, we talk about a labor shortage and then we're turning people away. What the heck's going on? And I, like I said, I didn't want to be a troll, but you had a great answer. So I'm going to kick it to you to answer back. And then, you know, Mike, while he's answering, I want you to think about like, what can we do as an industry to solve those particular problems? Great question. I'm ready for this. So Jeff, I think I remember the answer, but I'm not positive. But yeah, we, we accept roughly 50 to 60 people a year into our apprenticeship program. We're not a, a big apprenticeship program like Mike's old uh, program in Chicago, but we, we have a pretty healthy washout rate. So about 50% of the people don't pass the entrance exam, right? And then we have, that's when, that's our first layer. The next layer is an interview because not everyone understands the commitment that it takes. It's a five-year commitment. It's 8,000 hours of on-the-job training. It's 1,000-plus hours of, uh, of night school. And, it's, it's, and if you're 18, you may not be ready for that, right? Or if you're, if you're coming from another career into this, you may, it may not, be, may not be for you. So we want to make sure we're the right people because we invest our, our – our, uh, our paperwork says we invest about a hundred grand into each apprentice. So we, we, it's very important to us that we have the right apprentice. That, is that what I said, Jeff? I don't remember. Yeah, no, actually you really, you hit the nail on the head that there's more to, it's interesting because since you've, you know, since I've asked you that and it's now, gosh, it's quite a few years since I asked you that question. Um, I've really begun to understand, like, I think we could use doing a little bit more of the care that you guys are taking with, you know, where other 18 year olds might be going and how much other people might be investing. Cause that's really about what the unions are investing in them, not necessarily their parents. And so, you know, the care in which you guys can bring people in, but then you had also talked about the need for scaling the ability for us to do that, which requires another set of investments. So Mike, I'd be really interested to get your take on it. So, and, and I just want to be clear. So, because I'm very opinionated and, and very passionate about what, what my, uh, how to grow our unions and how to grow the labor shortage. Is that the question you're asking me? If it's not, refine the question because uh, I'm, I'm about to go off a deep one here. Oh, no, no, go off the deep one. <laughs> yeah, but it was the deep one. Dive in, man. Dive in, in, but it was really at the time what I didn't understand and, and what Stefan taught me was more about the process of what it takes to become an apprentice and that there's more to just showing up in line on a given day, punching your ticket, and in you go. You know, that there was more to it, but that also there was more need for investment in scale 
in the capabilities of the unions to and the by the contractors and by others to fulfill the need for all those different folks. So there it was a it was it was and I expect right. To tee you up to if if we got you on this show and you didn't do that, I'd be d- disappointed, Mike. So <laughs> well, take so it I'm gonna, away. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna just take my my five minutes with the microphone here and just say what I have to say. But here's here's uh you know I didn't grow up with a union card in my pocket and and I I uh, one day was just decided to go apply for the union pipe fitters and I showed up and there were I think that you're three thousand people that applied to get in and they took 150 people into that program that year so. Because there's a labor shortage, it's not due to the people that want to get into the to, to the trades. It's it's logistically how many they can take in their training centers and train them. So that's that's one whole thing. But um, I, you know, I thank God I did pretty well and I got in. And then here's what I realized when I got in. And this is what I tell every first year apprentice that came to our school. And this is what I would tell anybody in any industry that I meet them. And and you can take the best sporting team that you know of. To me, it's the Chicago Cubs. There's nobody better than the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> or we can take the the best school out there. And and I was not really good at school. So I don't, I'll just argue Harvard just for, for sake of argument. Uh, but I tell anybody I meet that's starting anything new in life. If you get drafted by the Chicago Cubs, you've worked your entire life to get into the Chicago Cubs and you get on a team and day one of spring training, you don't do anything or day after the first week or first month, they're going to bounce you. If you get into Harvard in that first semester, you don't do nothing. They're going to kick you out. So by you working your entire life to get into the, into Harvard or onto the Cubs, all that's done is afford you the ability to show them how good you are. That's it. So when you get in there, that's when the work starts, right? We have an amazing amount of people that apply. Like Stefan said, we're large in Chicago, 10,000 pipe fitters, um, 35,000 apprentices, over 40,000 apprentices across this country. Here's the two things we need to start doing. A, we need to start marketing that it's more than pulling on wrenches. I have an affinity and I love and I respect more than anything the brothers and sisters that go out there in any condition and they build this country with their whole entire heart. There's nothing more satisfying to that and I have chills even thinking about it or even saying it. Our schooling systems, our counselors, our parents out there, they have to understand that there is more to to what we do than a piece of paper that says you have a degree and you're certified to do this. There is nothing wrong with putting on a pair of overalls or bibs or a denim shirt and going to build this country and being proud of it when you're done with it because you're an American. And I know I'm, <laughs> I'm going off the deep end right now because it's something I am extremely passionate about. And I'm passionate about going around the country to these fab shops and seeing people that, that want to do better and, and seeing these contractors that are investing in technology and seeing the journeymen out there that are taking an apprentice and showing them what to do. We need to do a better job at showing them that, that there are more things to do out there than welding and pulling on wrenches. Show them they, they can estimate. Show them that they can be a project manager one day. Show them that they can be a technology manager one day. Show them that can, they can do what Stefan or I have done in our careers because somebody mentored us. Yeah. It's possible out there. All you have to do is expose them to it. There's so three of us say, that proved it right here. Right on the road. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, listen, don't, don't tell me there's don't tell me there's a labor shortage because I don't want to hear it. Logistically, yeah, maybe we have trouble training as many people out there, because Stefan said there's an attrition rate, more people are retiring than more people are coming in. That's something we understand. And until we build more schools, we're going to have to figure that out. But you know what? Figure out how we can maximize what we have. Figure out how we can be more proficient and, and productive and efficient at what we do out there. That let's, let's worry about that head on, and then let's worry about how we can build more schools and, 
and figure out this 800,000, you know, labor shortage problems, right? And, and Jeff, I'll, I'm sorry if that's not the answer you're looking for, brother, but that, that is something that I think right. about every single day. But you, right. I'll sprinkle and, it. Or go ahead, Trent. I was just going to say, to clarify, you know, the labor shortage, that's that's from a contractor speak, right? And, sure. and I'm in 100% agreement with Mike. I think I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to confuse the fact that we're saying the same thing, but the labor shortage is there, but Mike's just saying it doesn't exist for the reasons that people believe it does. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll piggyback with a comment, more of a comment, just saying that, I mean, that's why we focus so heavily on technology and that's why I'm glad to see the trades that are, are pushing it as well, because we're not asking, we're not trying to take away jobs. We're trying to augment the people that we have already. Of course, Definitely. No, and 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 I, that's exactly why I asked the question of Stefan when I did, because I didn't understand it, and you know it's it's what I've understood. But the the other interesting part, Mike, that you you just went into on the, the passionately and correctly is is just, I mean, the fact that you get to build this world, like. I, as a technologist in the industry, feel like I've had a hand in helping to build some of the things that are going up around the country. Oh yeah. And I, I feel differently about it. And, mm -hmm. uh, but I also had a, you know, came coming from outside this business and into this business had a different view of those people. And I learned very, very quickly, you know, we do have a stigma that we have to remove because man, I am in awe all the time of those people that go out that are pipe fitters that are doing this labor that are that are turning those wrenches like I can make a computer dance, but I can't turn a dang wrench anything I build they condemn. I mean, well, Jeff, I, I have Lego buildings that are falling. Yeah, over, so. but we make that Brother. pipe fitter, not just a 1.0 pipe fitter, we make him a 1.3 or a yeah, 1.4. Hey, you know? Let me tell you yeah. guys something from being on both sides of the spectrum those guys those those brothers and sisters out there that are building it they look up to you too they see and i'm not i'm not just saying this to to fluff anybody here we drive by as pipe fitters we drive by a building and we say i built that and there's nothing more prouder but you do the same thing when you drive by a building and say i coordinated that building or i was part of the technology on that building and and the, the people in the field that see you come out with or us now that I, i'm in that technology yeah. space and they see all these tools we're using and you're giving them the, the ability to do their, do their job better with more information. They envy that. And they look at you as, as the same way as them. We're all in here together. We're pulling on the same rope and we want to get this job done. And, and we all have a, a, a different part of the rope we're pulling on. We're all different pieces of the pie, but we're doing it together. And, and that's what it's all about. Right, Trent? I mean, you guys, I mean, that's a, a great point. Oh, we're all doing it together, right? hundred percent. Just like we always said in the army, you know, like the whole beans, beds, bullets things, man. It's like, you might be the guy who's out there with the bullets, but without the beans in the bed, <laughs> you're nothing. So that's a just... great point. Great point. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, Susan asked a great question, and and, and it, it it kind of diverges a little bit, but it, it's a really good question. I was wondering it uh, the last time I was talking to people. When you're training people and in, in they're sort of getting certified and this and that, how, how does the contractor get a hold of that 1.3 contractor, those people that are a little bit better trained, um, that have been through your programs? What are they doing from a call line or a job line standpoint to say, hey, I need, I need guys and I need you know them trained in Bluebeam or I need a Tremble guy, uh, which would probably, I got to say like, I think it was four years ago i went out to the bay area and i i met all these guys that could run tremble that were union i'm like why are you not in pennsylvania where i can use you because i need like eight of you right now we can make a lot of money 
you know, right. but, but how, how do, how do they get a, how do they get a hold of them? How do they get a hold of that staff that, like you said, this is your high end staff too, because they've taken extra time out of their personal life and said, I'm going to, I'm going to dig in and, and make something of this. But well, there's, what, for, for me, there's like, there's two ways. The first way is you just train them. And then, and then you, and what I've found is I'll train a class of 20, how to use the total station and then circle back with them in six months and you find out eight of the 20 are actually using it on their job sites. <laughs> right. And you're just like, what the hell? Like these guys are second year apprentices. What more or, proof do you need? Yeah. Right. And then, or you, you teach them just a simple blue beam tool, a six, three hour class on blue beam. And all of a sudden they're the, they're the blue beam guy on the project or they're the novice person on the project. And, or the, the third, the, the, the second way is we, we, and I just actually just made a bunch of phone, not phony certification, but certification is more for the contractors. I actually certify that they went through a Revit one class or a total station class, or, and then they can promote that and they can share that with our, with our person who dispatches out people to, to contractors who has the ear on the train track of what's needed for what projects. And he can offer up that type of person to those great ideas. But yeah, I think that's what Susan was asking is, 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 is there a way for, you know, someone in the hall to have, um, you know, sort of certifications or, or some sort of ranking that I have a, I'm Bluebeam certified and Bluebeam level yeah, one, so Bluebeam level two. And then that the contractors on the other side know they can actually, when calling up the hall, ask for those things. Yeah. yeah. So I recently had a good conversation with another apprenticeship director about stackable certs. And I, I used to teach classes that were 100 hours long, and we went over eight different things. And then I, I found out, all right, the best way to do it for me that I found was just bite-sized classes, so many hours on this, so many hours on that, and each time give them a cert that can stack up to whatever you want to call it, and then have it acknowledged by different uh, institutions. Like right now, I'm working with Stanford. We're working with our junior college to get, to get that recognized by them. So, and you know what's sorry stuff uh you know one thing we did in chicago as as people finish our 180 hour program for revit we tell them hey do you have a linkedin profile are you putting you know your ability to, to detail in revit on linkedin and well why is that well a lot of contractors are looking for detailers and yeah. maybe they don't have a ua member yet in the seat but apply for it and, and show them you know make a good profile and put your credentials up there and if they respond back to you and say well we don't have UA members in the seats here. Well, why not? Let me, why don't you, you know, let me come in for a conversation and show you some of my abilities in Revit and, and have that conversation. And next thing you know, it, it might be an opportunity. So don't be afraid to, you, you put the time in for these classes, fly your flag, put it up there that you're, you're a Revit champion and you're, you're willing to learn. And, and as you might be a plumber, pipe fitter, sprinkler fitter, whatever it is, any trade, but you're interested in sitting in that seat and, and helping design these buildings, you know? We, we don't plug a lot of things on here, but I'm going to plug our own episode back with Jim Knight um, on doing just that. If, so if you haven't listened to that one, guys, go back and listen, because you do have to be your own advocate, too. Absolutely. That, you know, part of this brand, you know, Mike, your brand is you. You know, it's yep. authentically you, but you've put time into it. Stefan, you as well. Each one of us here. I mean, the four of us is the dorks. We wouldn't be the dorks if we hadn't put in that effort. And um, I know there's a probably a few that hopefully this, this this gets to at some point where you are worth 
your own brand. None of us were right. anything and none of us are really that special. We're, mm. I, I love all you guys, but we're really not that special. <laughs> oh, it's, come a, on. it's a matter of believing in yourself that, that you can rise up and, and that you're worth it. So put it out there. And, and I would hope too, if any of the contractors are listening, you know, start asking those questions. One way to get the hall to start doing things a little different is if you're asking for something different, they might react a little differently. Yeah. So um, we're always a fan of pushing from both sides. You know, we want to push oh, up yeah. to the hall and we want to push from the contractor side so that, you know, again, it's everybody pulling that rope in the same direction, Mike. For sure. People don't know you want something unless you let them know, you know, right. you have to, you got to let them know that, Hey, I have an interest in, in doing this with the company. Well, if they don't know that, then, then how would they know to, to find you when they need somebody for that? So that's really important to do that hundred percent. And guys, I, I have to just say us mechanical contractors have some of the best Revit users, I think, in on the planet. I mean, I would, you know, Mike and Stefan, you probably know Derek Westfall works with me. And I mean, I would put his Revit abilities up against any architect, any engineer, any, I mean, it it's crazy, you know. Yeah, because Derek, you know, Derek, I know Derek personally. How many, Derek's been in mechanical rooms. He's built them. Derek's been on job sites. He's built them. He's he's had the tools in his hand and he knows what it takes to design a room properly where it's going to provide the, produce the least amount but of But he knows the software. He knows and, this, and, just and, as good and, as those guys. I, so that's what I'm saying. You take their ability to work mm -hmm. in, in that environment and now they know the authoring software behind it. Like how dangerous is that? I mean, that's like, that's amazing to see that. And Derek, you're right, is that, that, that man's at the top of the, the top of the, the he'll tell you he sucks, with, but you know, yeah, you know. well, that's okay. You we all have impo imposter syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah, Sal right. D'Ambrosia, like that's the Sal D'Ambrosia method. I think yep. this hold is my, two, hold my beer. I'm coming in right? <laughs> two yeah. episodes in a row. It's one thing you can't teach somebody 15 years of construction experience, but you can certainly teach them where to click in Revit and how to figure out how to do it. <laughs> And they're going to kick you out of the chair a lot faster than the other way around. So it's a so cool, true. it's a cool method. So, you know, take it back to you guys. Um, you know, if we don't have a lot of folks probably listening in there in their 17, 16 years old thinking, what am I going to do when I turn 18 right now? But we do have a lot of us who are parents and who are thinking about what are my kids going to do? And, and I know I've focused on changing not only that my my son can do it, but that my, I have a daughter and that my daughter can can enter into this trade and and can be a productive part of it and that, you know, technology can be a part of it, too. So, you know, Stefan, as you're thinking about a parent listening in, you know, what are the things that you would do to sell them that this is a career for them um, and that they should invest in? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um I'll start off by saying, I think it's 10% of high school freshmen actually get a four-year degree, you know? So it's pretty bad uh, odds if you're just thinking your kid's going to do that. Um, wow. I would, I would say that it's hard because I talked to a lot of high school juniors and seniors and their path is already defined. So I would say circle back with them, eight, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, try to understand what, what they're passionate about and look at opportunities around there. I mean, I would, I would love to talk to some young women about the opportunities in construction and the opportunities to be business owners and just the skill sets that they have that men don't have to be successful in the trades. I mean, some of the best people I work with have been women in construction, just badasses. And it's up and down the ladder in the field, in the office. So there's room for everybody. There's room for young people. There's room for 
there's room for, you know, every person, every nationality, you know, rich, poor to be, be successful in construction and construction doesn't care about anything else, but, but uh, the bottom line. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I answer your question the way you wanted that, to. But. No, you, you, you made a good thought. And Mike, I'm going to kick this over to you here, too. But um, something I've noticed, too, is that, you know, STEM has taken off uh, science, technology, engineering and math. And, you know, they've thrown in the, the A there. And some people get mad when you say STEAM. But I kind of like the STEAM because if, if it wasn't for the A, we'd have a whole bunch of boxy looking same darn thing of everything. Right. So the A makes I have to laugh, know. though. Isn't STEAM just school? Isn't that what school was when we well, were in school? So that's always the <laughs> argument. Right? Right. That's always the argument. But I mean, not... do middle schools have a shop class anymore? I don't no. know. No. Yeah. Not many. No, we still have a few is... out in the middle of nowhere here where I am, but it's very rare. Right. That's, hurting is... our, that's hurting us too, I'm sure. But yeah. it is being replaced by STEM, which is actually leading to the same thing. Like my son does a lot of 3D printing, does a lot of Tinkercad work. You know, and I, I turned to him and said, that's construction, man. Like, yep. that's the future. What the what you have to figure out how to do is once you print it, how do you put it together and how does right. it work? So, Mike, how can we lean on something? And this is off the cuff. How can we lean on something like STEM and STEAM to to drive all sorts of interest back into the trades? Because it's 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 not shop class, but it is a bridge. That's true. Well, you know, so one one way we did it in Chicago was we look at maker faces, right? So maker spaces are for, for younger kids who um, want to get out of uh, away from video games, even though they build video games in, in maker labs, but uh, they embody that. So what did we do? We invited them into our training facility to say, Hey, you're having a, a maker day or a, a maker fair. And you want to, you know, let us house it for you. Let us host it at our training center and let our apprentices work with your kids on some of the things they're building. Our apprentices have the knowledge around tools and are able to safely work with them let them work side by side with your kids. And, and what we're doing is a, we're introducing their families and their parents into what our training center looks like and, and the type of community involvement that the trades have, which is huge. Number two, you know, the PR, right? We have to go to these high schools and we have to talk to people about what it is to be in the trades. And like I mentioned a little bit ago, uh, we're very proud of what we do here. We're very proud of what we build and, and we're, we're proud to be, you know, uh, you know, Americans and, and build our infrastructure and our economy. And, and that's what the trades embody. And you look at kids nowadays, these kids are not afraid to voice their opinion. They're not afraid to fight for what they believe in. They are not afraid to make a statement. They are not afraid to take what's theirs. And uh, that is not much different from a union member. So they are in fact, uh, you know, they embody what that, that union spirit's about. You know, they fight for what they believe in and, and they believe in brother and sisterhood and they support each other and they back each other. And, and that's what it's all about. So I think the first way, the easy low hanging fruit there's maker labs all over the country. There's maker spaces all over the country. Find one, talk to them and see how you can host a maker fair at your facility or partner with them in one of them. And you'll be surprised at the outreach and the, and the outcome you get from the local community. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good answer. And, and you know what, Jeff, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me just touch on this too. It doesn't have to be a training center. It can be a contractor. We mm -hmm. have very large contractors in our areas with huge fab shops. Why don't they host a maker, a maker fair in their fab shop? I know we're, it's hard to say, let's shut down the fab shop for a day to, to teach kids how to build, you know, uh, toolboxes. But, hey, those are going to be the future kids that are running that fab shop one day. So it may not be a bad idea to bring them in for it. I don't want to give away our, our secrets too much. But, I mean, that's that's the way we grow our VDC department a lot is we we engage with the the local high schools that still have, uh, you know, CAD programs or, or those kind of programs. And, and we 
we get very, I mean, not to, to Stefan's point, you know, when I go out and speak at, at job fairs and stuff now, like I'm supposed to speak on technology and I speak on construction more. Um, but, you know, we need to get them earlier even because by the time we, you see them when they're juniors and seniors, they've kind of, like you said, they've got their, their paths laid out. But um, that's one of the things we've done as a contractor that we found to be to be very beneficial and, and not to, to shit on either of the coast or anything like that. I think that they're, especially in the mid, Midwest, they're, you're going to get some of these families that are, they've got, they've got a different work ethic. They've got a different mindset. You know, they've got different experiences in, in, you know, here in farmland, we get the farmers and, and whatnot. So you're going to get a different, that, that different feel, but. Um, Travis, we know the Midwest is the best. Right? Don't, that's right. They, that's they right. know it too. They know it too. All right. They know it too. Yeah. Don't worry yeah. about. We, we build and that. feed the country. That's all. I mean, whatever. You guys on the coast, whatever. <laughs> We're good yeah. at feeding ourselves too. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We are. Yeah. Um, well, Stefan well, gave us the iPad, but that's fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> while I got the mic for a moment, and I think Jacinda, uh, she submitted a really good question. I haven't wrapped my head around it yet, but um, I, I did have a question. Um, you know, we're all very heavily on the mechanical and the, the MEP side, right? Um, and even uh, Susan there from the IBW. What have you guys had? What sort of involvement have you guys had with other trades with, with um, you know, steel erectors or what have you? I mean, is, is this spreading through, through all the trades? We're trying to expand our footprint here. You know, we need some better, some more viewers, guys. You know, we need some just than just the mechanical here. I mean, uh, one thing that comes to mind is a project I was on 10 years ago. It was a pretty big hospital at 600 beds and the, the guys, the electricians were using Revit, right? And I was like, holy smokes. And it was kind of new and clunky and well, newish, new to me anyways. And they were full, full blown using it in San Francisco. And they had a little core group where they were, you know, working together and building, uh, building the content for each other. Uh, but I'll say... We we have a pretty good network in the Bay Area of the crafts working together. We have some you know uh, social groups and stuff where uh, people lean on each other for help. And and once you get into the office, I, I feel like, or once you get on projects and job sites, the the different trades for the most part work together. And you know, it's kind of like us, us versus them mentality at that point, where you're trying to you know, get the project done, get, 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 be profitable. But on the, on the uh, uh, training side, I've just made the conscious decision years ago that I'll never hold anything back because of what I've gotten in return is so much more. So it's like, you know, we've, I've worked with Susan and, and she's shared things that I've learned from her and she's learned from me. And those are two completely different trades. And I've done that with fire protection. I've done that with, um, you know, sheet metal and on and on and on. So we, we don't, we, no one does this alone at the end of the day. Yeah. To touch on that, you know, we, like I said, we have Susan here with us and Susan is, and, and Josh Bone now is with Electri. I mean, Josh Bone, as we know, is a huge advocate of the mechanical trades and Josh has been to our training center many times in Chicago and he's been at almost every UA event I've been at for the last five years. So that just shows you that Josh Bone with with the, the respect that he's had for the mechanical trades that, you know, he's pushing a positive message on the, on the electric side and the Nika side. And, and I know guys at the UA level, like Ken Schneider, who are, who's our advocate on technology is doing the same thing uh, for piping is that, you know, Ken has always been uh, an advocate of that. So like Stefan said in the field, we're backing each other all day long. We're there to support each other and make sure we're all safe and, and watching each other's backs. But we are starting to see with the amount of trade stacking going on in coordination 
I think in the next, you know, in the next three years, we're going to see major involvement with trades on, on working together on a technology level. I hope we do. I think that would have a huge impact on the industry. And I think you're right. The ones you just named, and I think that's why our, our door code has, has been very much mechanical focused and electrical, um, you know, because you guys are out on the forefront of it, but I feel like as I come across more trades and, and I've jumped over to the GC side of the world in my job. And, and so I'm seeing it from there and, and, uh, they're going to have to come together and they can learn from one another. It's what something Mike, you taught me early on was like, we're a union shop and we're union, but, but we want to teach everybody. Like we, we just, you know, Stefan, you said it. I just, I just let go. I've learned over the years that I get far more back. And, and I hope that those other trades, if they're out there listening and wondering how they can do it, you know, I've been approached by the carpenters union before and others. It's like, don't ask me how to do it. Go directly to them and ask them how to do it. And guess what? They're going to tell you. Like we've, we've discussed this. Like it's kind of like a sales funnel from any job. I want to fill the top of the funnel. I, I don't really care where they pop out. If, if I'm filling these trades with people and they're popping out as carpenters, they're par popping out as mm -hmm. plumbers, they're popping out as, you know, steel erectors. That's fine. They're oh, yeah. in this industry right and i think we have a hard time not we have a hard time getting away from that zero-sum game mindset that that you know i I've, I've done this in in presentations and speeches i've done before like at that point in time i think that you know construction in the u.s was like a 14 trillion dollar business that's a big pie i'm i'm more than happy to share that pie around let's that's just what the, try to do it better that's what the plan spec world has done to us travis man yeah, that's, true. Just, that's true that's yeah um I have a question for you guys before, before we get too much further. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of a hard question, but it's one that when I was implementing technology, cause I was the person that did that for my business um, with the guys in the field. One of the things that they really hit back on me was their autonomy to build like their ability to make building level decisions and, and to keep that autonomy. And I was accused a lot of sort of the creating a brain drain and in, in, in my defense, I have always said that if you have, if you don't have skilled labor beneath you, uh, don't expect to be able to do this. This is totally like, we're totally leaning on all of the people that actually know how to build to do the technology part. But for those guys that are pushing back and saying, Hey, I, I feel like I'm losing my autonomy. I feel like I'm not being able to do the work that I signed up to do when I started into this. Do you have anything to say to them that might, might help them understand? I mean, Mike, you gave a pretty impassioned speech, but but uh, but but Stefan, what, what would you tell to some of those guys that look at the technology and look at the loss of autonomy and their their choices that they used to make? Even their their place on the job site has kind of been diminished at times by the technology or is where they think it is. What would you say to those people? Yeah, I've had tons and tons of conversations about that topic and over over 10 years you know, going on and on almost every project had that had that issue what i would say is find a cheerleader that's gonna that's gonna not drink the kool-aid but it's gonna be your partner and then you're gonna give them the opportunity to have influence on the way it's built leveraging the technology and then you make them a part of it and then they if that project works well you'll see that it's gonna snowball and then other people are gonna want that 
and you're going to get, there's going to be trust issues and they're like, they're going to want to revert to the way they know how to do it. But you, you, you'll see that the project schedules won't allow them to, or your company standards won't allow them to, and they're going to have to utilize a total station. They have to utilize the tiger stop. They're going to have to utilize prefabrication on half inch copper when then they're hundred percent confident they could do it faster, you know, getting 20 foot sticks out there. And then I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. We had a barn burner of a biotech lab years ago and it was miles of copper and we had a little bit of time to do it and they wanted to do it the old way. And we talked him into, we talked him into prefabbing, you know, three quarter inch copper, inch copper, you know, and it was a very, very condensed schedule. And I kind of, I got, I got the buy-in. I wasn't 100% sure if he was going, he was going to, uh, to listen and I called him up a couple of weeks later. But as far as I could say, no news was good news. I called or I, I text him, how's it going? He sent me a picture of the box of unopened tubing cutters. Right. So what that meant he 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 hundred percent installed per the drawing, crushed the job, and wanted more on the next one. So it's 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 a trust. It's it's a you cannot tell them it's gonna be this way or the highway. It's they got you gotta let them in. And you gotta let them focus on other things besides installation. You gotta let them focus on manpower, tools, dealing with the day-to-day with the general contractor. It's, you're, it's I kind of like frame it as, I'm gonna let you worry about stuff that you, that that's gonna be really important to you on this project and let me worry about this. And then, you know, and get that trust going. And, and you know, if I could just touch on that and I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably gonna get in trouble here, but it's okay boys, cause I love you guys. but. I'll apologize in advance. And, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, getting the field, you know, autonomy and getting them more involved. And, and you know, we want to make sure that they are, they're, they're respected for what they do. And, you know, I, I know we are not here to pitch what we do and I'm not doing that. But the reason I left my job to come work for this company is because it empowers the field and it empowers the fab shop to, to take advantage of the data rich models that, that the VDC departments are using. It's giving that ownership back to the field and it's empowering them. And it's, they're seeing the field is seeing all of this technology that's taking place in the office. And they're seeing you guys walk out there with iPads and robots and art, you know, all this stuff. And, and they want to be a part of it too. That's what, this is what enables them to do that. And, and again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about our product. And that's why I love this podcast because you guys aren't about that. You don't let people come on here and, and pitch what they do because then it just turns into every other podcast out there. But at the end of the day, we have to empower the fab shop in the field, take their knowledge, their expertise, their years of, of building and, and take that somehow into the VDC world and in the office and work together so we can, you know, raise this tide together. We have yeah. to involve them and Stefan, or sorry, Jonathan, you bring up a great point that, you know, they are, they do question their time. They do question whether or not they're, they're valued and, and, and by us including them and giving them the power of these, of this data, it makes them feel valuable. It really does. And I'm sorry if you're mad at me for kind of. Oh no, no. <laughs> I like Stefan's point about the condensed schedules. If I, yeah, I, totally. I, I don't think I don't think everybody's seeing that yet. I try to tell people like it's coming. It's it's almost here. Like go look at California. You're not going to have the time you you had before, and it, it's tough to get them to do that. But what you said, Stefan, I I will tell you, I can probably, and I'm not going to use all their names because there's too many. I always had mentors that were like field foremen. I was, I was almost a hundred percent trained by the foreman 
on, on my jobs. I actually remember one of the dudes calling me up and he said, will you stop leaving things six inches long? He says, I have a pile of six inch pipe beside me with little ends and they're all exactly six inches long. So you obviously know how long this pipe's supposed to be. Just freaking cut the pipe. But, but there was, there's a bunch of them. And I, I think what you said really, really hits it. If, if, if the VDC guys go out and pick three people that they want as their mentors, and those are the champions and bring them in. So like, let them take a hand in running VDC a little bit, at least from the information. I think that's, that yeah. that's right on, or at least we did after you said that, I'm like, that's what we did. I agree. That's, what we, that's I agree. what we did at North. Absolutely. I mean, Great point. You, you find that superintendent or that general foreman or, or, or even a lower level, you know, uh, like a first line leader foreman, somebody that's going to run with things. And that, that definitely worked. But I liked Stefan's comment about the, I, I wanted to elaborate on the condensed schedule thing, because that's what all of this is allowing to happen. And I don't know if any of you have ever heard this, but being in management, I've had the privilege of hearing, you know, from PMs and stuff when they're talking about, you know, you're going over a job. It's like, why didn't we fab this? Why didn't we do that? Why? It's like, well, you know, the schedule was tight and we didn't have time to get you involved. So we built it in the field. I'm like, you didn't have time. So you didn't fab it. Like, <laughs> so it's just funny. It, you got to change that mantra, right? It's <laughs> hey, I've heard it. I promise you. It's hey, well, I have something I want to challenge Stefan and Mike because, well, getting my, but Mike, by the way, earlier you did a great job of, of dicing the knife edge. So we, we, that's what we're going to call it from now on. I like that. <gasps> um, it's okay because, you know, you, people doing what you did, Mike, is, is actually important. And, and the ability to go backwards too, like you can go from the field to the office, you can go from the field to technology, you can go from technology back to the field. That that should be an open gate. We should actually really encourage that. Um, you know, it's it's everybody getting the ability to do that. But but I have a question because, like, it feels like all of you guys assume that like BIM and VDC is the way, and I hate to be the one that always has to say this, but it, like Jonathan, I remember at MCAA National, and you walked up to me and said dude, now I know what you're talking about. And, and there is a strong contingent still of large, large, large contractors that believe this BIM thing's a fad and they go, meh, meh. And I, and I, I of course, I've got to stay careful of, you know, hopefully they don't listen in right after I talk to them recently. But I'm saying on a regular basis, I hear that this BIM thing. And so Mike, I know you're going to jump on a high horse here. So I, and I just love to do it to you. So I want to hear it. Like, what do you say to them? How, how do you even like, have you sat across from anybody recently and had that argument? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every day. I mean, it's uh, and, and here's another, well, let me just start out by saying, here's another great way to advocate using a UA member in a VDC office. We have members in Chicago that will detail a mechanical room and go and build it. Right. So like if you're if your VDC departments, uh, you know, slowing down a little bit and you have a an apprentice in the office that's that's drawing for you you're, or you're mentoring them how to draw. Well, after they draw it, send them out there to go pull on some chain falls and see if their design uh, it holds any water. You know, I guess uh, absolutely no pun intended. But um, you know what, Jeff, brother, all of us here on this call have had those conversations for the last five years 
with people on, on technology and, and where it's going and, and the people that still look at us today and say, you guys don't know what you're talking about. We've been doing it. Here you go. I'm speaking to a contractor now that's in and on the west half of the country that's been in operation continued for 127 years and they just bought a tiger stop and they just put iPads in the field and they're looking at technology. They've been 130 years family owned fifth generation business that is to this day updating technology. So now somebody that's perfected what they've done for 130 years, why are they adapting to it? But we have contractors that have been in business for 10 years that want nothing to do with it. It's, it's, it's that mindset you have to have. And I know it's scary. I know, I know there's real budgets there and there's, there's money to be spent. I get it, but you got to understand. It's a very simple sentence. Either keep up or you're going to get left behind. It's that simple. Stefan, I mean, am I wrong? I mean, you're, you've been a mentor of mine since day one, Stefan. And if I'm yeah. speaking wrong on what you've taught me in the last five years, then, then put me down. But I mean, these are conversations you and I have had for five years, brother. Yeah. I'll, what, what I think about Jeff, when you say that, that really resonates with me. I, I think about that person who said that to you, they're looking at a line item on a scope. It's like, holy shit, yeah, that cost, exactly. that cost that's going to cost my company $4 million. Right. And then, then they're, then they're thinking, how do I make that back up on a $5 million job or a $10 million job? And they're, they're not seeing, I'll just say that they're not seeing that. Oh, like for instance, if they prefab their hangers, they prefab their pipe, they're going to say, they're going to see 30% reduction in, in uh, labor. And then for instance, I did a job one time, we applied that and we, we saved a million dollars on a $4 million uh, material budget just by using BIM. So I think they're just looking at a, at a line item. They're not looking deeper into it or they're, or they're looking at a disaster project as a, as a complete waste of uh, time. One of the things I always say when I challenge the, the line item thing too is how many times do you go back and re-cost mistakes you didn't make? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. just think about it. It, it, it. When I would get challenged about the HoloLens, we would use the HoloLens very early on and and it was whatever, it was $3,500 of the device. It was another three grand for the software. But if I didn't have to move this platform from here to here, it saved me 60 grand, right? No, nobody goes back and redoes that. And those are the kind of calculations that get missed. So those are the conversations you need to have. And, and, and it's really important to kind of talk. Well, about. you know what, Travis, you spent three grand on a HoloLens. I mean, what would your fab shop what would they say to your fab shop if they wanted to buy 10 DeWalt grinders? Nothing. They wouldn't <laughs> right. say a word to them. They wouldn't say a word. You know? yeah. So why did, why did you even take the time to ask me? Why, yeah. why are you exactly. asking me? Like, really? Exactly. Like, go, go buy We, we really need so to change that conversation, right? <laughs> you know? I, I just wanted a quick point to Jeff's question, too, because I, I love when Jeff play, plays the, the devil's advocate. And, <laughs> and I think we've all had that conversation. And I think my most recent rebuttal that I used was, you know, as a contractor and as somebody who, who looks at this as a future and with skin in the game, uh, it's like no one knows what 50 years from now looks like. You know, no one 50 years ago knew what we would be doing today. And you can put all your your PowerPoint presentations up there about how BIM, you know, BIM's a fad. It's going away. This is the future. You can do that. And 50 years from now you could be 100% correct. But there's a lot of money for me to make in the next 20 years, ignoring what's going on right now. So, you know, sure. I, can, sure. I can wait for what I'll never see, or I can join the now 
make my money and worry about what the, because I can't predict the future and no one on this podcast will be able to. There's no one. You 50 years from now, I, yeah, none of us know. So that was, that was one of my favorite rebuttals to it. And it just, to kind of combine the points too, when we talked about, about Mike with what, what you're doing now and in not pumping up companies, not pumping up specific companies, but you're going to watch people. You've watched a lot of people like Mike, like uh, Walker Lockard, like, um, um, man, I'm just spacing right now. Like Jonathan, even that, that go from James Simpson, James Simpson. There you go. That that go from the contracting side to some technology. Right. And I'm not, I'm not specifically saying we're calling out that specific technology, but, but the, the marketplace that that technology plays in, those people know what is lacking in our industry. Watch what they're doing. Watch where they're going. Because that, those are the, the areas that, that we have gaps in, in, in. They're going to places that have solved a need. And that's the need that you need to solve for your own company. Right. Very well I, said. I have, a, I have a great story. So like uh, four years ago. I was with Josh Bone and we were talking to a data scientist and the, the guy pulls me aside and says, well, all my data shows me that the BIM just isn't working out. It's not good for construction at all. And I was like, okay, so I'm at a contractor that's making far, far more money and getting far, far more jobs because of technology than anything else. We're like blocking out our competition and everything else. I'm like, what questions are you asking that gave you data that said that BIM wasn't working. And he pulls out this, this list of questions for a GC, for starters. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, so your data science is based on a bunch of questions that are, are baloneous, you know, that, that like, I've never even heard of some of these things. And, and I think that that's part of where we're getting bad press is people are asking questions that don't make sense if you understand technology. If you're actually doing prefab, it makes sense to you that you measure twice because you know that even a small deviation is going to cause major problems down the road, but they're going, well, why did you have to buy a Pharaoh scanner or whatever scanner? Sorry. I didn't mean to mention the name, but uh, buy a scanner. See Mike, I do it too. <laughs> um, it, you know, to do these measurements and you're like, I know that if I can prefab, I can save this much money. I know if I buy a piece of technology that makes these measurements right, then BIM works. And they're like, well, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't ask people that had the right measurements. We asked people that were doing BIM to fulfill a contract, you know, whether it was helpful. And they're like, no, it's not. (laughs) But you add prefab to that, man, it all starts to make money really, really, really fast. And like you said, Travis, a single mistake. I, I had a, I had a mechanical room that was, somebody had drawn it in 2D at the wrong scale. They had just drawn it at the wrong scale. The equipment was at the right scale but the mechanical room was blown up. Yep. Send so it. let's go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I was it. like, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. This is not, not going to work. So there are those things, you know, it, it, it's part of the whole thing. I mean, and, and it is part about getting the visibility too. And I think Stefan, you hit for me, what's probably going to be the thing in the end that does push us over the the precipices, the the condensed schedules you're already seeing in California. Not to not to mention the difficulty of of working in an urban environment as we as we get tighter and tighter on one another and our cities get fuller. Um, those point. sites are harder. The logistics mm-hmm. are harder. We can't build. We don't have the space. So. Oh, and by the way, the buildings aren't getting any less complex. 
<laughs> oh gosh, and no. the technology right. and systems that were putting in place, right? Yeah, what what right. we saw in our area was contractors were saying, "Well, I can build this in 24 months." Another one coming is, "Well, I can do it in 18 months," and then on and on and on. It's just kind of like a so it's not a dollar amount anymore, right? It's just well, like how well, quick. I, me- I, dollars, but- I mentioned that I mentioned that building that I worked on that was 600 hospital beds. And think about it, they get several thousand dollars a night each bed that's each sure. bed that's used. And mm-hmm. when do they like to be open three months earlier? Would they pay yes. you know a premium? It's a massive for that? deduct. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I, I this is a conversation just... we had with COSA, right, Jeff? I mean, it's it's not always the dollars. The dollars is a big part, but the sooner we can get a facility up and running where they're making money for the owner, I mean, yeah, that, I... that's dollars too. I'm in the biotech capital of, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was sold 15% the world's biotech. And those are businesses that may have a five-year lifespan. So of course they're in a hurry. Right. I mean, yeah. I I was actually just on a building that was weird. Um, before I, before I ventured out on my own where they were using a different type of structure and a different type of slab where they weren't going to allow you to drill your own homes and do anything other than bang it. And, they also couldn't support more than 250 pounds per hanger. And they wanted you to demonstrate as a contractor that you were going to stay underneath that in every area. Tell me how someone does that without BIM. How does your company even bid a job like that without BIM? And that's a building style that's coming online. You know, <laughs> we're building these leaner buildings. You can't do those tricks. You're the guy who won that didn't read that spec. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, this is true. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe. So he's out there hanging on every hanger, right? <laughs> not two hundred fifty pounds. Not 250 pounds. <laughs> All right, where can we find an apprentice that weighs two forty nine? That's a whole new, whole new area. But no, I, I think you're right, Stefan. I think pushing the means and methods forward is going to be the key, and it's it's. And it's maybe it's bidding it down too. Maybe it's getting those owners and, and Travis, you're right. I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, with Pfizer and the others fighting to get a, a, a vaccine out. I mean, it was, it was not only about the cash flow, but it was about the country. And, and it was really about when can you get the damn facility open doing what I needed to do? Because that's when I start making my money and start, start doing it. So, you know, it's, it's, well, I'll get a Nathan. This is another it's with them. What's in it for Damn me? It. But uh, uh, Damn it. There's a dollar. <laughs> Add into human API. Another dollar. <laughs> <laughs> if you're over in China, how fast can you build me a thousand, a thousand bed hospital? You know right. what I mean? Right. That was phenomenal. Let's build a yeah. thousand bed hospital in a week. You know, that's if that doesn't prove to you that we can build faster with prefab, I don't know what's going to, what's going to break your, your yeah. concentration there. Us continually beating on you might be the other one. It, get a construction dork beat down. What and we by the way, about before the sandpaper that just wears everybody down. Yep. We, we sandpaper, we wear you down. Or, or I'm not going to name names, but or Jeff walks up, grabs Jonathan, and goes, "You need to school this dude," and then walks away and leaves him there with a whiskey. So, not that that's ever happened. No, no, that never happened. And he I didn't talk to me for a half hour about how BIM guys are, are horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's not by the way, argument. If, if you ever run into me, I'm going to do that to you. So, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah, so. yeah. fair warning to anybody that listens. If you find us at, a, at an event, we're going to grab you by the shirt collar and put you in a, in a position with somebody else and say, you need to talk. Yep. Been and doing it since of, we started this career. It's our version. Our version of Thunderdome. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> 
That should be an episode that we do. We put the people in Thunderdome and let them <laughs> fight it out. We decide between the four of us. We might need a fifth so that we mm. could have a tiebreaker. Ding, tie ding, breaker, ding. Right. What's or we could use the crowd. That pardon the interruption, like Jeff would be the little point guy. Like just over there <laughs> like, doing <laughs> random. <laughs> oh, Dude, I see an episode, Mike. I see an episode coming up where we can do that. We, <laughs> we'll have like a trivia night slash like PTI. We'll just ding, ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. We'll steal it. It's like John 30, guys, Travis 20, Trent negative 10, you know. So uh, guys, I hate to do this, but we are, we're, we're already at like, you know, way past seven because yeah. it was a good conversation, yeah. but, but I, I think we should probably bring it home. I don't know if anybody has any last thoughts. Um, my last thoughts are I'm going to finish my hot toddy. I'm going to, I'm going to go to sleep. I'll think yeah, a lot better, about man. all the things yeah, you guys have said. Put on your snuggie and go lay down. I, yeah, I, I, how do you know I'm not wearing a snuggie? I mean, we're all <laughs> we're all the shoulders up here, people. No, this. Hey is guys, thanks me. for um, thanks. You know, Stefana. You know, I'll let you say uh, your piece as well. But thanks, guys, for having us on here. And uh, you know, Stefana and I are talking on the phone once or twice a week, supporting each other, and it's great for us to be here to, with you guys. And uh, and I just hope all you guys are well, and to see you guys in person soon, hopefully. Yes. I mean, come on. But thanks again. It's it's been awesome. Really appreciate it. For the record, I've been vaccinated, so I'm a, I'm <laughs> really? all really, yeah. I'm a volunteer fireman, so we got pretty high on the list. Right on. Awesome. Get on the road, right Trav. On. Travis, we need you on the road, man. Let's get some content. Yeah, if you see me with a mask, don't yell at me. Without a mask, sorry. <laughs> if you see me without a mask, don't yell at me. Well, thanks awesome. for having me. Thanks for having me on. Great chat. Keep it up, guys. Good job. And yep. Appreciate everything you guys do. Pushing uh, the industry forward and tech Definitely. forward. No, thanks to all you guys. And, and Trent, any last words? Oh, man, no, just thank you both. You know, uh, both of you guys have been a great resource for me over the years. And uh, we all, the three of us have similar roots. And it's been, it's been fun watching you guys grow. And hopefully, hopefully it's been fun to watch me do the same. So yeah, knowing you guys. we'll see you guys soon. We'll see you guys soon. Yeah, it's been a great show, guys. Thanks for tuning in for the first Construction Dorkcast of 2021. We were excited to start it with these guys, um, and we're excited for more episodes. So remember to reach out. Tell us what you're up to. Ask us for new topics. We are just excited to have you all. Thanks, and see you later. Thank you. <laughs> oh, Video settings. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> So we know what this entire episode is going to be. It's just going to be them slowly changing through. Do you think anyone will notice? I mean, it, it looks so, so natural. It, it no, looks, I yeah, think we should natural. leave that on, man, the whole time. It, <laughs> it moves should, around. Look at this. Like, you should do an eye patch and start switching eyes. Yeah. You know what you should do is turn around halfway through the episode and turn that off and then just turn back. <laughs> I'm going to see if Jeff says anything. I'm going to wait for it. Just yeah. kind of. Right on I don't have the right version installed, so I'm just going to sit back and relax. That's why you guys always update your software. You still running on Windows 95? Always update your software. If I wish I wish I was running on Windows 95. That would be awesome because I loved 95. It was cool. XP, it wasn't like, XP was the best. Yeah, it, it wasn't all. It, it didn't put Windows, on air. ME. Windows <laughs> Windows yeah, the, ME was the shit. I only run ME and Vista. Those are the only two I <laughs> I'm going to try to make a VDI and like really bump it up and see what you can do with, with a virtual core inside Revit. And yes, Mike and, and Stefan, that's how boring our lives are. We're talking about virtual cores on fucking Revit machines. We have nothing to talk about, but uh, yeah. what, what, Steph, that's what I this, talk- this, what this podcast is about though, is 
oh yeah getting to nerd out right my yeah, life absolutely. is the beta test you, know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you guys do a much better job of politicking it than uh than very 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 many people out there that are, mm-hmm. are banging the drums my god yeah that's that's probably like the most uh underrated skill that you guys have probably is because that's the part of it that most of us would never be able to succeed at you would have well, loved me that. you would you would have loved me in my late 20s and my early <laughs> 30s i was i was that asshole pushing and then you slowly realize it's easier to get them to be your friends first you have to bash your head against the wall a few times right before you really kind of realize that yeah you get fired a few times <laughs> has to leave <laughs> has to leave politely we'd like you to politely be somewhere else that's, that's trent i really hope you keep that mustache because it's not moving with your mouth real well <laughs> as you turn your head back and forth it kind of sticks to <laughs> oh dude yeah you i didn't mean to interrupt on. the flow of the conversation but i, I was watching you you're, you're mesmerized you by the facial hair the best is the hand, hand. <laughs> it, it, like, <laughs> wait hang on nice <laughs> no nothing dude just can't hear you at all i don't hear anything i think he's just screwing with us at this point yeah he's just <laughs> he's just messing with us he's got like a little button on his mic and he's not gonna press it <laughs> oh, oh shit i'm muted <laughs> <laughs> well, come on dude we're gonna have to go live here soon you guys check can you hear there me you now? Go. yeah hey, we can hear you now there you go there he is there we go there that's where we go. come early everybody <laughs> <laughs>